this morning, we're going to talk about the heart. And we're going to look at a passage of Scripture here in just a little while in Psalm 84. And we're going to unpack that chapter and just look at the heart of our life. And what it is that God would have to say to us through that psalm. And as we do that, as we, I was reading through this passage of Scripture and, and just seeing what it was God was speaking to me about through that passage. Um, I just realized, who better to talk to us about the heart than... A man in our church, Dr. Clint Dorn, um, a cardiologist, uh, an expert on matters of the heart. And I just want you to hear from him just for a few minutes as we begin to just think about the heart. And we're going to talk about it in a lot of different ways. But Dr. Dorn, if you would come on up here and, and share with us for just, for just a few minutes on, on the heart. Who else carries around a heart in their, in their luggage? Uh, so. Moments is hard for me because I have a great passion for the Lord. So, the first slide, I'll make it quick. I think this captures what many of us feel when we study the heart and study the Bible a sense of astonishment, amazement of, how, of God's provision. That's my grandson looking out at the creation, and to me, that captures it. And I've studied the heart for 37 years now, and I continue to be astonished at its, its beauty, its, its uh, processes. I've done everything to the human heart over 37 years, I, as you can possibly imagine. Paced it, poked it, prodded it, opened it, closed it, uh, every manner of thing. So I'm always in sense of a, amazement. But really, the, the true amazement is the Bible. I'll continually be amazed at God's provision and what God do, does. He talks, it's, it's, if you can look at the back of your Bible, you'll see that he likes cardiologists a lot better than the other specialists. So it's always about the heart. And so Daniel's going to talk from Matt, uh, Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. And my heart and flesh, and my heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has a home. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on a pilgrimage. And we have started a pilgrimage. And um, I, I think about the broken places. That is, and then further down, they pass through the Valley of Baca, which is the Valley of Tears. And we think about, next, next slide. There is downtown port That's from my journal. If you can see that, I hope you can. The Valley of Tears. And I think about all the, the heart disease we've seen here just within our congregation. We've had three children who've had heart surgery just within the last two years. And uh, there are two of them are here today. And... Uh, I just think about how God has provided for them and uh, how that, and that is walking down the streets of Port-au-Prince, you hear the moaning of the, of the dying. They're, often their, their family members hear the moaning, and it, it, it's an unbelievable thing, but how the Lord provides. And, it, and we talk about even the sparrow has found a home. We think about the bird, but in Jesus' biblical time, there were, the sparrows were, lived in a quarry in northern, in just beyond the Damascus Gate. In Israel, and they were they were the homeless children, and I think about next time how when I first met Oaken, oh my, <laughs> when I first met Oaken, he was uh, I, he was at a he was really dropped off to die. He was not only an orphanage but a hospice, and his oxygen saturation was 32 percent. Yours is 100 percent. His head was white with uh, fungus. His teeth were black. And Christine, as as he become as he become more and more fluent, like yesterday, Christine or the day before, told me that. The children, even in the hospice, even in the orphanage, would tease him, black teeth, black teeth, black teeth. And uh, 
And I just think about how the Lord provided for him. And, he, and I remember then, it was almost like that uh, Jesus, ex- I mean, that, that, that Jesus was crying. He was actually crying over the, the plight of, the, of, of him. And it was just amazing how the Lord provided for him. Uh, next slide. There's Oaken's heart. Just, uh, three, just over three weeks ago. Right here. Next slide. We'll go quickly through that. The heart. He had a huge, massive hole in his heart. Next slide. There's a hole that's been patched. You can see the patch, a Vecron patch in his heart. Next slide. And then how he just is, is unbelievably provided for him. And Rodney, another one that, that was in our midst here, and we still can, we're, uh, some of the guys will see him this uh, the coming week that are going down to serve in, in Port-au-Prince and Haiti. How the Lord provided him. Coughing up blood. Nearly dead. And uh, how the Lord provided. Next slide. His heart, there's his heart opened up. Next slide. And there he is with another one of my grandson, grandson's Hudson. And uh, restored back to his family. Next slide. And there is May's heart right there. And uh, you can stand up, May. Yeah, go ahead. How the Lord provided for her. And, you know, two, this last week was two of May, uh, last week or so, um, the last, uh, I saw May jogging on the boulevard when she couldn't do anything like that before. Just, she's a uh, year and a half post-op. And, uh, and Oaken now running up and down our driveway, not short of breath, free running. And uh, it was a wonderful thing how many of you prayed for and helped uh, these children. And I just praise you for that. Next slide. This is how, I always think about this. You know, one of the greatest lies is, I have time for that. The greatest lie, the lies closest to the truth. We do have time, but how we live on thin threads of, of life. There's a blockage right there. That guy, fibrilla, his heart uh, went into ventricular fibrillation, had to shock him, bring him back, and there's his artery after that. There's a stent being placed. Next slide. And uh, I'll finish up with this. The pilgrimage of life. Uh, Matt, uh, Mark Bernard, y'all, many of y'all met Mark, and uh, Mark... Uh, uh, died uh, uh, April 15th. As he always said, we just want to do our part. We just want to do our part. And he died. His, his heart stopped and, uh, and April 15th on, on, the, on our hospital site. And uh, he, I, I think, oh, man, how could this be? But I remember him talking as uh, right after the earthquake where he was saying, Clint, this is our dream come true. Being, we did 800 cases at this hospital in uh, Hamani that several of y'all have been to. Uh, and saved, fed thousands, and it was, it was a great moment for him. And his pilgrimage is, I just want to do my part. I just want to do what the Lord wants me to do. And his part was massive. But I think, why did he die? And I think sometimes think that, you know, hatred has returned. There was for a moment the, the, the floodgates of love were across the border, and we could cross it, it and we were, everybody was pulling together to save hearts, but... The hatred is returning. Maybe Lord spared him that. Maybe he just didn't. Maybe just didn't want Mark to see the return again of hatred. And so, we just praise you uh, for your help with the the, the children and the that uh, the, the, the Lord has brought. And uh, the work's still on. And uh, they've come for a place of comfort. And the comfort is here. And it's, we don't have an enduring place here as as Port-au-Prince. The, May's hometown, which is May's hometown. We don't have an enduring place here. 
Our only true home is in the presence of the Lord and understanding what His will is for us. Thank you very much. This morning, as we, as we begin to look at the heart and as we think about it, a lot of things come to mind. And we use the word heart for a lot of things, don't we? We use it for the muscle that pumps blood, but we also we use it to talk about just the center of everything. We use the word heart when we talk about passion and we talk about desire and love. We use heart for, for so many things, but the heart is, it is the source. And when the heart is not healthy... Everything else begins to shut down. Nothing else works right if the heart doesn't work. And that is so true of our relationship with Christ. When the heart's not right, when we're not right at the very core of who we are, if how God desires our relationship with him to be is not where it should be, then all the other things that we try to do to look like and and be like a Christian or a follower of Christ, those things are never going to happen and we're going to constantly be frustrated and we're going to constantly fall so short of who God intended for us to be and we a lot of times we we start focusing on those things if we look at Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 let's just start there and then we'll get back to Psalms but in Galatians 5:22 we see the characteristics of someone who follows Christ the Bible says but the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control against such things there is no law the Bible gives us a very clear picture of what a relationship with Christ should look like what characteristics of that should be if we have a healthy relationship and walk with Christ here are some of the attributes of our lives and so many times we focus in on those we want to be more loving we want to be more joyful we want peace in the midst of difficult circumstances we want to be more kind we want to be more gentle we want self-control we want patience we talk about those things we pray for those things and we want to see those things in our life and so many times the point of frustration and the point where so many of us just stumble and we get so discouraged in our walk with the lord is is we aren't seeing those things come true in our life. And as we walk with Christ, we think I'm not becoming more loving. I'm not becoming more joyful, but yet I should be. And so we focus in on the fruit of a life that's being lived for God. But what we should be doing is looking back at the heart. Why are those things maybe not as true as they should be in my life? Why am I not finding victory in my life in these areas? Why is this not evident in my life like it should be after this many years of walking with the Lord? And so this morning, let's just talk for just a little bit about maybe what it is that God wants us to look at about our heart in a spiritual sense. As far as our relationship with the Father, let's look at the heart of that and look at the heart of what God's desire is for that relationship with us. And see if maybe if we get our heart healthy spiritually, what the outcome will be for the rest of our relationship with Him. Psalm chapter 84. Let's read that together. Let's look at this. We're just going to unpack it and we're going to talk about it for just a few minutes. Psalm chapter 84, starting with verse 1. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, it faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. 
Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Salah. Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Selah. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. In this psalm, I think there's three things that we need to see. As I was reading and just, I was looking at the heart and looking at at what the heart was as I was reading about that muscle. It said, what the heart does is all about repetition and rhythm. Repetition and rhythm. And if the heart's out of rhythm, and if the heart doesn't repeat what the heart was intended to do, we are in big trouble. Physically, we will not make it. And as we saw the surgeries, that the pictures of some of those surgeries, the heart had to be fixed in order to do what the heart was intended to do. And this morning, my prayer for me and my prayer for each and every one of you is that God might do a little bit of heart surgery this morning in our lives and help us to see the rhythm and the repetition that he desires for us as we read this psalm. There are three sections of this psalm that we're going to unpack and God is so good in his word to help us see that and see where that is. You'll notice as we read, you'll see the word salah. That was a musical term that was used when uh, the psalmist would write And basically what that word meant was stop and think about what was just said. Stop and reflect on it. Stop and meditate on those things. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to break them down. And let's start with the first one. The first four verses of Psalm chapter 84 is the first part of the rhythm. The first part of the heartbeat that I believe God wants us to see. If we're going to be healthy, if we're going to be whole, if we're going to have the life that God intended for us to have as far as our relationship with him goes. The first thing we need to see, let's look at that. It says in the very first verse, how lovely is your dwelling place. And then he uses some intense language. He says, my soul longs and faints. My heart and flesh sing for joy. Some versions say cry out for the Lord. Do you get that? This is not an ordinary kind of thing. This is not just a a passive, I can take it or leave it kind of relationship. No, what the psalmist is saying here is, He had an intense desire that if his relationship with God was not there, he wasn't going to make it. He was going to be, he was going to be gone. He was going to faint. He said it it yearned, it longed, it cried out for the Lord. In verse 4, he said, blessed are those who dwell in your house and ever sing your praises. A little bit of background to this psalm. This psalm was written by by a member of a family that you may recall from the days of Moses. If you, if you study the Old Testament, Korah, um, a man who did wicked in the sight of God and lost his life because of, but his family, God spared his family. And there's actually, he redeemed them. And there, there were members of his family who began to serve the Lord and were used by God all throughout the Old Testament. 
Well, more than likely, scholars believe this psalm was written during the days of King Hezekiah, which was during the divided kingdom of Israel when you had the southern kingdom of Judah where the temple was, and then you had the northern kingdom, which was without a temple. And because of the animosity between the two kingdoms of Israel at the time, those in the north really were unable, for the most part, to travel and worship at the temple. And so this psalmist is writing here how he's he's remembering. He's remembering the temple of the Lord and how beautiful it was, how magnificent it was. It was one of the wonders of the world at the time. And he's remembering that place, that dwelling place of God. And his desire was to be there. His desire was to be in the presence of the Lord to worship, but yet he could not get there. And so the language is, he's about to shrivel up and just waste away because he cannot go and be in the presence of the Lord. God's desire for you, God's desire for me is that we have an intense desire for his presence. That's the first thing God wants us to see when it comes to our heartbeat. The heart of our relationship with him, there has to be a desire for the presence of God. A desire for the presence of God above any other desires that we have. We like desires. We're really good at having desires. We are all passionate people. We all can get very excited and passionate about the things. And we only have to look at the things we spend our time on. The things that we spend our money on. The things that get our attention and our affection. When we look at those things, where those, where those paths lead us, when we look at our lives, you'll find our heart and you'll find our desires. God says, if you're going to have a right relationship with me, I've got to be your number one desire. Your heart and your flesh have got to cry out just for me. Not the things, and so many times I think we're in love with God's stuff. We're in love with what we think God can do for us. When we get in the bind and we get in a jam, we're quick to cry out for God and desire God because we think God can fix it. Or we like the idea of eternity and we like this idea that one day, you know, we can be saved and we, you know, we, we buy into this idea that there is a hell and there is a heaven and we want the heaven and we want the eternity and we want, we want to be there and we like that. We're really in love with God's stuff. But what God says is, you know, I want you to be in love with me. I want you to love me, not just my stuff. Be like as a parent. If my daughter, if Avery came up to me and she said, Dad, you know, just buy me things. Buy me Barbies. Buy me new clothes. You know, get me the new Hannah Montana this or that. You know, and I say, well, come up here and sit on my lap for a few minutes. No, I don't want to do that. I don't want you. I just want you to give me something. I just need stuff from you, Dad. Ah, it'd break my heart. It would break my heart to hear something like that. So many times I think that's what we do. And I know I'm so guilty of God. I just need your stuff. Give me what I need to get through today. And I'll see you the next time my tank's empty. Next time I need something, I'll be back. But I'm going to check out until then. God says no. Sometimes when we're not healthy spiritually, when we don't have the victory that we read about in God's word that's ours because of a relationship with Christ, when we're missing that and we feel like things are just not quite right, the first thing I think we need to see and examine is where are our desires? Do we desire just the presence of the Lord? And God doesn't mince words when he talks about that. He says, I desire all of you. I want you 
God's word says to present yourself as a living sacrifice, holy, devoted to God. God wants all of you. He doesn't just want part of you. And so many times I think God's, we think that God's just okay with part of us. He's okay with just a little bit. He's not. God is a jealous God and he wants all of us. And we may stop and think, well, why, why would I want that? I mean, is God that, is that, does he have that big of an ego? Is he that, that egocentric that he would say, hey, you know, you have to be all about me. You have to desire me above everything else. What kind of God is that? Who would demand that of me? Shouldn't he just want me to do it if I want to? And if I don't, why would he, why would he make me desire him in order to have the life that I want to have? Well, here's the thing. God, God is the greatest good in this world. We have a lot of things that we desire, a lot of good things that we want. But the fact of the matter, the truth is that God is the greatest good. And so if God's desire for you, if God's desire for me is to, is to be, is good. Romans eight twenty eight says that God works all things together for our good. To those that love him, God's desire is good for you. God's desire is the best for you. So when God says, I want you to want me above everything else, that's not just for him. That's for you. That's for me. God desires for you to desire him because God knows that's the only way that you are going to experience the best that he wants to give you. But when we aren't desiring that, when we aren't desiring his presence, when we don't pattern and prioritize and organize our lives to where we spend time in the presence of God, then we are going to miss so much of what God wants for us. So we've stopped and we've thought for just a minute about the presence of God. The psalmist said, above anything else, his greatest desire was to be able to go to the temple and worship. Bible says that as believers, those who know Christ, he says, we are the temple of God. We have the ability to worship God. We have the ability to be in his presence. How often do we take advantage of that and just spend time getting to know him for the pure joy of knowing him? The second part, the first part of the rhythm, the first part of the repetition is a desire for his presence. But there's a second part. Let's read the next few verses. He starts out with the blessed statement. He's, he ended with one in the first section. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, those who are in your presence. Listen to the next one. Blessed are those, in verse 5, whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. The second thing that I believe God wants us to see about the right kind of heart, about a healthy heart, is not only do we have to desire his presence, but there's got to be a commitment to the journey. An Israelite during this time were required. God wanted, God desired for them. And they wanted to make pilgrimages to the temple, to Jerusalem. And it was a costly thing to make this journey. It was not an easy thing. When I've, when I've been to Israel and I've seen the land and all, it, it was a rough land. It's a dry land in so many places. And to walk that to be on foot and to have to walk from all parts of that nation, even though it's a small nation, but to have to walk, to travel to the temple. There was great danger. There was great cost. You had to take time away from your job. It wasn't just a day trip that you could make to the temple. It took months. Sometimes, sometimes even a year of your time was spent to make a pilgrimage to the temple. 
And a lot of Jewish people during that day, they might make one trip in their lifetime. Because of the expense, they would have to save. They would have to save their money. They would have to sacrifice in order to make one trip to the temple to offer sacrifices and to worship Yahweh God. There was a commitment. There was a, there was a huge commitment on the part of an Israelite to go and be in the presence of God. And I believe God is after the same thing from us. He wants us to be committed to this journey, to this journey of a relationship with him, of a walk with him, to be Christ-like, to have, to be conformed into the image of his son on a physical level, on a, on a, on a real level. Spiritually speaking, when we invite Christ into our life, God gives us a brand new nature. He says we are a new creation when we are in Christ. But God's desire on this journey until until eternity, until we are in the presence of, of God when this life is over. His desire along that way, along that journey, is to conform us on the outside into who we are on the inside. And God uses the journey. God uses the journey to conform us into that person, to bring glory to Him and to be an example to others who need to enter into a relationship with him. But we've got to be committed to the journey because it's not always easy. And the psalmist is very quick to talk about that. He says, as they go through the valley of Baca, and Dr. Doran mentioned that, it's a place of tears. It's a dry place. And it says, but listen to what happens when, you, when the psalmist says, you know, but his commitment to that journey, his desire for the presence of God and his commitment to do whatever it took to get there along the way, Look what happens even in those tough times, even in those trials, even in those difficult moments that don't make sense and that are hard. He said, as you go through those, they become a place of springs. The early rain covers it with pools and they go from strength to strength. When we read that passage of scripture in verse five, where it says, blessed are those in whose heart are the highways to Zion the literal interpretation of that phrase in the Hebrew language is it's just the way that we must take to get to Jerusalem. That was, that was the interpretation. It was the only way. It was the way that had to be taken in order to get to the desired destination. Church, there's a road that God has put us on. The destination is eternity. The destination is the presence of God forever once this life is over. But we've got to understand sometimes, even when it gets tough, there's got to be that mindset. There's got to be that attitude of, you know, this is the way. This is the way that I must travel. There's not all kinds of ways to get to God. The way is Jesus. And this is the path that I'm on. And I'm committed to that journey. I'm committed to that process of becoming Christ-like in my daily life. Even though it's not always going to be easy. Even though it's not always, even though it might cost me something. Even though, you know, there's going to be times where I would rather be anywhere than on this journey. I know what the goal is. 
I know what the desire, the destination for the Israelite, it was the temple in Jerusalem. And as you would come up from any direction in Israel, you had to go up to get to Jerusalem. So wherever you came from, whatever valleys, whatever deserts, whatever lonely places you went through along that journey, eventually you would come to a place where the only thing you would see was a beautiful temple. This golden temple. And it would shine in the sun. And for the Israelite, they would see that temple. And at that moment, no matter what it had cost them, no matter what pain they had had to go through along the way, no matter what they had had to sacrifice and sell and and rid themselves of in order to make that journey at that moment, they saw it's going to be worth it. Look, there's the temple. There's the presence of our God. We are here. I had to ask myself as I read this passage of Scripture, Where is my commitment to this journey? Where's my desire for the presence of God? Do I want that more than I want anything else? And if I do, then my commitment to the process of becoming the man that God wants me to be and living the life that God wants me to live, that's going to be there too. It's part of the rhythm. Starts with a desire. It leads to a commitment to the journey no matter what that journey brings. Oswald Chambers said, in my utmost for his highest, he said, God is just as concerned with the process of getting us from the point of salvation to eternity as he is with the goal. God's ultimate goal for you is not who he, is what, who he wants you to be. If God's got, if God's got this, this picture of who he wants you to be, and he does, God has purpose for you. God has a plan for you, and God wants that for you. But God is not, the only thing God wants for you is not just this, this ultimate goal of who you were created to be. God also wants, and God's desire for you is the process along the way. And that's just as much a part of his plan as the end result. The journey is critical. The journey is just as important. Are we committed to that journey? The last section of this passage, and starting with verse 9. We've seen the desire. We've seen the commitment. The third part of the rhythm. It says, behold, our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. Verse 10. A day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. We see this desire. We see this commitment beginning to influence and affect the life of the psalmist as he talks about it because of his desire to be in the presence of God because of his commitment to do whatever it takes to be there his actions begin to be affected by it he says a day in your courts we sang about it this morning a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere in other words the psalmist is saying I would give up everything in a lot, of, a lot of cases, they did give up everything just to spend a day in the presence of the Lord. But because of the desire for his presence, because of the commitment to be there, it was worth it. It was worth it. Do we want God that bad? Do we want God that bad that we would say, God, I will trade everything. I'll trade my comfort. I'll trade my nice 
life that I've kind of got worked out and I've got everything kind of fixed just the way I want it, the way I think it needs to be, I'm good with it. I'm in a routine. I'm in a rhythm. This is, this is good. I've got things where I want it. It's nice. It's easy. It's comfortable. This is good. Are we willing to trade that in and say, God, if I need to, I'll give it all up. I'll give up my house. I give up my car. I give up my job. I give up my security just to be with you for one day. As I read that, I almost decided I couldn't even talk about this this morning because that's tough. Our pastor mentioned last week that sometimes a good question is better than a lot of, a lot of answers or a lot of statements. One well thought out question can be just as powerful. And that was the question that God hit me with. Do I want God that bad that I would give up everything else just for one day with him? If that was all I was going to get out of my sacrifice or out of, my, out of this process, out of these trials, out of this difficulty, out of all the hard things that life brings my way, if all I was going to get at the end of it was one day in the presence of God, would it still be worth it to me? Would I still make the commitment? Would the desire still be there? And I think if we really understood what it meant to be in the presence of God for just a moment, if we could see that, if we could fast forward to that point and see what that moment would look like, I think we would come back and say, absolutely, one moment in the presence of God is worth anything else this life has to offer. The psalmist realized that. He said, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. He said, you know, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God. There are several different ideas about what a doorkeeper was, but what I really believe as I I read and as I studied, this is a position of humility. This is a position of just servitude. This is a place... This is not an occupation that was desired. This is not a place that was just, you know, sought after. This was a place of service. And the psalmist says, you know, if that's what it took to be in your presence, is I was just going to get to be a doorkeeper. I was barely even going to be in, but I was going to be there. Hey, I would rather do that. He says, than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Otherwise, to have everything that this world has to offer. He said, God, I would rather be the lowest of the low of the servants in your house than be the richest of the rich in the world's eyes. He said, I'll take that trade any day. Why could he make that? Why could he say that? Because that is so foreign to us. That is so against what our society teaches. To give up everything here, our comfort and our security, everything here to say, you know, it's not as important That's what God wants for my life. If God wanted me to give that up for him, absolutely, I would do it. The world would call us crazy to live that way. And a lot of Christians refuse to live that way because we still believe that what this world has to offer, the way we live anyway, says we believe it's a lot better than what God has to offer so many times. So how do we get there? What is the third part of this rhythm? What's he talking about? Let's look. Very last verse. He said, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. There's got to be a desire for the presence of God. There's got to be a commitment to the journey, whatever it brings. And that leads us 
to a place of surrender, to control, surrender of control, outcome to God. We've got to be there. That's the third part. I said it was rhythm and it was a repetition. Just gave me the imagery of a heartbeat. Heart's got to desire the presence of God. It's got to desire the journey along the way and realize that it's as much a part of the plan as the end result. And that leads us to a place of surrender. And the only way we can surrender is when we do what the psalmist said, blessed is the one who puts their trust in you. The psalmist could say, better is one day in your presence than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be the lowest of the low servant in your house than have everything this world has to offer. The only way the psalmist could trust God enough to say that was when he finally got to that point of just surrender and said, God, you were in control. Whether I acknowledge it or not, you are in control. But I'm going to embrace the fact that you are in control. And I'm going to open myself up to being led by you. And realizing that whatever you have for me is going to be so much better than whatever I want for me. That your desires for me are greater and are better for me than my own. You see, so many times... We desire what we want more than we desire what God wants. And you know, that's natural. Don't beat yourself up for that, that you desire what you want more than you want what God wants because it's a trust thing. And we can't force ourselves to want what God wants more than we want what we want. It's part of the process. It's got to start with a desire for him. And move along to the point to where we can surrender control. And want what God wants more than we want what we want. It's a process along the way. You see, we read verses like, I can do all things through Christ. Who gives me strength and trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. We read those verses. You know, to live those verses out is a whole nother thing. And I think the majority... Of believers and me included a lot of times. I read I can do all things through Christ and I read that I should be fully dependent upon him and following his leadership in my life and putting myself in his control. But what I do is I set my life up so that even if God doesn't come through in my life, I'm still going to be okay. I don't live in complete trust and in complete dependence upon him. Even in even in Christian circles, even in the church world, even, even in this place so many times, we figure things out ourselves. It's not just a walk of faith and trust with him. It's okay, God, if you come through, that's great, but I need to make sure that this is still going to work even if you don't. It's not what God wants. God wants a complete and total dependence upon him. And that's such a scary place. That's such a scary place to be because, you know, that might, you know, could that mean that God might want you to, to change what you do as far as your occupation? It might, it might not, but it very well could. God may want you to do something different than what you're doing. Could it mean 
that a relationship that you're in, God doesn't want you in that relationship. It might, but it might not. Could it mean that God wants you to maybe, you know, something wild? I don't know. Maybe, maybe sell the house that you've got and downsize a little bit because you've got more than you need. And maybe God wants you to give some of that away and use some of that excess to bless others and show the love of Christ to others. Could it mean that? Absolutely. Or it could mean that God wants you to stay right where you are in the job that you're in and just have a renewed commitment to walking with him in that place and making a difference right where you are. It could just mean that. But what God is after is all of us. He's after our desires. He wants us to be committed to this process and this journey with him. And he wants us at a place of total surrender to him. And that brings us full circle. Because when we're at a place of complete dependence upon God, and I hear stories of people who live that way, and they're inspiring, and I think, ah, what a way to live, to be willing to give up everything, to do what you believe God has called you to do, to live in obedience like that. I think, wow, that's extreme, that's intense. And then I have to stop and say, actually, that should be normal for the child of God. But the person who's there is the person who I believe understands the heart of what God is after. The rhythm and the repetition. Because once we get to this place of surrender, complete and total dependence and trust on our Father, you know where that brings us? Right back to a place of desire for His presence. Because because when he's all we've got to hold on to, we are going to run to him. We're going to long for his presence when we're in complete and total dependence upon that God. Of course, we're going to want to be in his presence. And then the process starts all over again. It's a desire. It's a commitment. It's a surrender. And the surrender leads to a desire and a commitment and a surrender again over and over. That rhythm, that repetition when that is there, when we begin to live that way, those attributes of a follower of God, those characteristics are going to begin to show up because then we're healthy. Our spiritual life, we're, going to, we're, we're getting healthy when that rhythm is in place. And we're going to begin to see those other areas begin to be affected by a healthy heart. So as we close this morning, that's what I want us to think about. Examine the heart of your life. How healthy is it? Is it out of rhythm? If it's out of rhythm, all it takes is an acknowledgement of that, repentance, a willingness to do what you need to do to get back in rhythm with God so that you can have the life and the healthy life relationship with him that he wants for you. So I don't know this morning where where you are. I don't know the state of your heart. But I know the state of mine. And all week as we've listened to messages at the camp that we were at in Daytona, as I drove home and as I thought about it yesterday, 
I need to desire the presence of God. I need a renewed commitment to this process of becoming Christ-like because it's not easy. I need to live in total surrender and walk by faith with Him where I'm willing to be obedient because I know what God wants is better than what I want. And I know what God has for me is so much better than anything this world has for me.